If you turn in your Bibles this morning to the book of Luke, the book of Luke will be in Luke chapter 11, Luke chapter 11, and we'll, we'll start at verse 1, we'll go all the way to verse 13 this morning, Luke 11, 1 through 13. Now, last week, kind of the, if you will, the kickoff Sunday of the new year, I, I really wanted to, and I really feel like the Lord impressed on me to, to bring you a message on growing how to grow as Christians, and, and I had a lot of people after that message um, come up to me and, and really kind of want to press in, if you will, towards the mark of the upward call of Christ Jesus. And so there, the Lord used that in a certain way that I haven't seen very often in a number of people in this church. But I got to tell you, without prayer, it's for naught. If you want to grow in your personal walk with Christ, if we want to see this church reach Mission Viejo for Christ, you need to be a prayer warrior. We need to come together as a people, both individually, corporately, and seek the Lord in humility, and He will move. Now, I've talked to a lot of different people when I, when I kind of press them, hey, what are you struggling with in your Christian life? The majority would say prayer. As a matter of fact, the number one theologian right now, his name is D.A. Carson. He said, if you want to embarrass, embarrass the average Christian, ask them about their prayer life. And I read a study a couple of weeks ago about a very large seminary where they, 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 they're used by God to train up missionaries to go out on the mission field. So these are kind of like the special ops group, right? Those that are very serious about what they want to do. And so they, they interviewed 100 missionaries. And when they interviewed them, they found that, that only six out of the 100 said they prayed every day. And of those six, three of them said they prayed no more than five to 10 minutes a day. If this is the problem with then, how much more with us? And so this morning, this message is going to be focused on how can we grow in prayer? How can we as God people move forward with a prayerful heart and a prayerful attitude? Now, the reason some people don't pray, some would say, well, it's a discipline problem. It's kind of like working out, right? It's like, I just don't have that want to or the motivation. And so kind of like that, I don't. Other people would say it's more of a, an experience problem. You know, I pray, but I get distracted, and I really don't feel like God's moving. And some people might say that you really don't know what God does. Sometimes you pray, and it seems like He answers. Sometimes you pray, and it seems like there's no answer. Sometimes you don't pray, and He answers, and you're like, I don't understand prayer. Well, I want to tell you, I, I don't think the issue with prayer, the reason you may not be praying, I don't think it's a discipline problem. And I really don't think it's an experience problem. I think it's a gospel problem. The reason people won't pray is I think they don't understand the depth and the truth of the gospel. How lost and needy we are, but how great and good God is. And when that grips our heart, man, that's a different motivation. And it will begin to motivate you and move you towards prayer. When you realize your desperate need for Christ... And how much He wants you to come to Him. You can't help but seek Him in prayer. The gospel message is that we're sinners in great need. And God, by His grace and love, sent His only Son. That we might now have access right into the throne room of God. And we don't come as slaves, but as children. To a loving Father that wants us to come and meet Him. And so in our passage, the disciples are going to come up to Jesus and they're going to ask him how to pray. And he's going to outline a model of prayer, not only 
how we should pray, but maybe we'll see in it some things why we don't pray. So we're going to take this in sections. Let's first start with verses 1 through 4. Let's read that together. Luke 11, 1 through 4 says, And it came about while he was praying in a certain place. After he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John also taught his disciples. And he said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves also forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. So what should we do to grow in prayer? Or or maybe you could say, how should we pray? First thing, pray with reverence to a loving father. Pray with reverence to a loving father. We are to approach God respectfully, but with a heart of worship to our heavenly daddy. Now the disciples, they want to know how to pray. And so they come to Jesus. This is interesting to me because I'm thinking... They didn't come to him wanting to know how to perform miracles, right? They didn't come to him wanting to know how they might become more involved and and grow in ministry. What they came with them was was a request to know how to pray. Why is it? I think because they saw the reason that miracles were taking place, the reason that God was moving so powerful is because Jesus always got away to pray. And so they see the connection between effective ministry, a vibrant life with the Lord and prayer. And there's one word that kind of sets the context for this whole passage, and that's that word father. Now, in Greek, it's pater, but in Aramaic, it's abba, and it means father or daddy. It's a a close, intimate relationship with a father that's loving, who wants to know you, who wants you to be close to him. You know, I came across an interesting article by a German theologian. His name is Joaquin Aramaeus. And he did an exhaustive study of all the religions that led up to the point when Jesus came, and not one of them spoke about God as a father, and particularly as a loving father. God was always distant and other, and it was someone that you had to somehow appease, do things to please. But when Jesus comes on the scene, suddenly Jesus brings in that our Father, our God, is a loving God. And he has a heart of compassion and mercy for the lost. And for his children, he is for you. He is in your camp. And so this concept of God as a loving daddy, this is revolutionary to the disciples. And I got to ask you this morning, is it revolutionary to you this morning? Because I think one of the reasons people don't pray is sometimes God's way out there. He's distant. He's a distant deity and you better keep your act together because when you're good, he's happy. When you're bad, he's not happy. And it's kind of this very distant, separate, but that's not what the Bible teaches, and particularly Jesus. Jesus begins to share his heart about his Father. And so the gospel is so important because without the gospel, you're going to be trying to please God by your performance instead of trusting in the performance of Christ. But the gospel, now we can come boldly before the throne to our Father. If you're trying to trust God by your works, you'll never be reconciled to Him. Romans 3.20 says, Because by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in His sight. For by the law comes the knowledge of sin. The reason God gave the law was so that we would realize how lost and sinful we are, and then we'd seek for the solution, and the solution is Christ. You cannot be justified by the law of God. And so He provided His Son. 
And now that we have his son, now we can have true relationship with a God that wants to know us personally. And the way that we view God, it matters, and it will impact the way that you pray. The gospel clarifies two concepts, one, how we view God, and two, how we view ourselves. And so these two concepts, there are extremes. The one extreme in viewing God is that he's holy, other, he's way out there, he's a distant deity, and you better have your act together. But another extreme is he's my homeboy, he's my buddy. No, God is holy. There's a reverential fear of worship we should have before him, yet he's relational and loving. That's a balanced view. The other view is how we view ourselves. Some people believe that we're dirt, we're worms, we're despicable. Another view is that we're basically really, really good. But the gospel brings in the balanced view to mankind. Yes, we're sinful. We're separated from God because of sin. But also, God created us in His image. And now we can have this intimate relationship, and He wants that. And so the, the gospel message, it brings a balance to the, to the view of how we approach God in prayer. And we need that balance. Now, God sent His Son to reconcile man to Himself, but it's not because of who man is. It's because of who God is. And it's not because God is lonely. God has always had perfect relationship within the, the triune Godhead, perfect love, perfect unity. But in His love, He created us, and because of that now, He wants to know us. And the prayer that Jesus shares with His disciples, it's going to bring this balance as we look at this prayer. We're going to move on and look at some parables. And the structure of the prayer here, it focuses on God and then man, and that's as it should be. And so Jesus begins right here with a focus on the vertical, on who God is. Look at verse 2. It says, Father, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come. This is a focus on who God is and what his will is. Now, this is an abbreviated version for Matthew chapter 6. In Matthew chapter 6, Luke leaves out, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And the reason I think he leaves that out is because he says, thy kingdom come. It's kind of, he already expects that that's what's going to happen. Since like kingdom comes, his will is going to be done. But a key to effective prayer is to understand that God is a loving father, that he is intimate. He wants to have this real relationship with you and we can come up to him and, and, and know him. And he wants us to know him. It's relationship and kingdom. And both of them are primary. We have a loving Father that deserves our worship, but He wants us to come into His presence. This is why Jesus says, hallowed be thy name. He deserves our worship. He is holy. He is absolutely deserves glory. But also, as a Father, He wants an intimacy in that worship with us. Now, this is a command to hallow His name. And this idea about hallowing His name, is it, it has within it wanting to do the will of God wanting to please our Father, wanting to be part. Our desire is to do His will, and His will is first. Remember when Jesus says, ask anything in my name and I will do it? The same process is there. It's not that Jesus' name, by saying the name of Jesus, that it's somehow like this powerful magic or lucky rabbit's foot. No, Jesus is saying, this is my will, and you're asking in my name, it encompasses all of that I am. And when you ask something in my name, you're saying you want my will to be involved, and it motivates our heart to do the will of God. And I want to be pleasing to Him. And the main focus of our prayer should always begin with who God is, what He wants to Him in worship. So we begin our prayers 
with a focus upward. It should never be self-centered. Our prayer should never be all about what we want, what we desire. It's all about us, God, and you need to do this, and, and or you somehow think that your faith somehow makes God do something. That's not the way that prayer works. With an understanding rightly who he is, we can come in boldly, but also humbly, and we know that he wants us to be with him as his children. We always should approach the Lord with an attitude of reverence, of worship, but also intimacy. And not only that, he says that he wants his kingdom to come. He says, thy kingdom come. This is a prayer for for God's kingdom to rule. Now, presently, God's kingdom rules in your heart through the work of the Holy Spirit. I call that an already, not yet. Already, he resides in you. The kingdom is with you. Do you understand wherever you go, you bring the kingdom of God with you? You are his ambassador. God is reigning here in the hearts of men. But one day, it's future tense, we pray for his kingdom to be established fully on the earth. And on that great day, the Lord will rule in all power. But right now, he rules our hearts. And so we pray, Lord, rule me. Rule my heart. Thy kingdom come. Have your way with me. Your will be done, Lord, with me. And we impact the world. Lord, have your rule in this world. Do the work. Now, he's sovereign king, and because he's sovereign king, it impacts the way that we pray. I turn my wants to his wants. I want his kingdom work to be done more than my kingdom. Prayer demands commitment, and as a kingdom citizen, I'm committed to my king. And so it demands that I I go forward before him regularly. And also, his kingdom is to be pursued above all else. I think what he wants, and his will, even over my own. And so we're praying to the vertical first, but now that we've done the vertical, now Jesus tells us to pray for the horizontal, our needs. Now, this is both physical needs, but also spiritual needs, and we have both. Look at verses 3 and 4. He says, give us each day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves also forgive everyone who's indebted to us, and lead us not into temptation. How often we start prayer, right, with our own stuff. How often we forget just to come before the throne of God, worship Him, seek His kingdom first, and then go into the things that we need. But Jesus says He's interested in the things that we need. God cares. And our prayers deal with both the physical and the spiritual. He says, give us each day our daily bread. Now, when I I was kind of break down this text... This text literally means our bread tomorrow, give us today. It kind of has both aspects. It's the ongoing daily needs, not all of our wants, but our needs. Now, I don't know if any of you have prayed, Lord, I'm out of food. I need food today. That doesn't happen too much in America, does it? But I can tell you where Pastor Jimmy's going, that is a real honest prayer before God. And so what God is concerned for for his people is that we need God's with us, even for those little things. I think what he's shown here is the intimacy of the little things in your life. Those things that are pressing in on you, those things that that are important to you, God cares and and he wants you to bring them to him regularly in your heart. You have the the ability to come before him as a father and, and bring even the smallest details to him. I was talking to a brother the other day and he says he even brings when he's pulling into a parking lot, God, would you open up a parking space for me? And sure enough, God answers that prayer. The little things he involves God with everything in his life. And God wants us to, even the minutest details. And so you have this dynamic prayer life going upwards. You have this prayer life going outwards. And it's a model prayer. 
It's not supposed to be a repetitive prayer that some of the denominations say. Jesus says in Matthew 6, 7, and when you're praying, do not use meaning, meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do, for they suppose that they will be heard by their many words. Therefore, do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. He knows our needs, but He calls us to come in. So the first part of the prayer is vertical. The second part of the prayer is horizontal for physical, but then it's also horizontal for inward. We would call it spiritual. It's spiritual. We need to deal with the spiritual things of our life, our spiritual needs. In verse 4, he says, forgive us our sins, for we ourselves also forgive everyone who's indebted to us. True believers are forgiven, but also we forgive. And this does not mean that we don't wrestle with forgiveness. This is a very difficult and intimate part of our life, isn't it? This area of forgiveness. And many of us have been offended by people and and hurt deeply by it. But the heart of a Christian, and the key he's saying here is that you want to be what God wants you to be. And as the example of Jesus is to us being forgiven, God calls us to forgive. And if you're struggling in that, he's saying go to him regularly and ask him to help you to forgive. Now, forgiveness is not dependent on a person's repentance. Now, some people say, well, until they repent, I can't forgive them. That's not true. Jesus from the cross said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And all the people there said, oh, we're so sorry. No, he forgave them already. Our heart is to be for forgiveness. We're to ask God to help us forgive. With repentance comes reconciliation and restoration. But our heart needs to be given over to God and say, God, would you help me? to forgive them as Christ forgives. And when you know the gospel and the gap between you and who God is and how much he has forgiven you not only once but continues to forgive you, that motivates you to want to forgive others and it changes the dynamic of the prayer for forgiveness. And forgiving other people is very important. One reason is it's for our own health. Bitterness kills and bitterness is a sin. And it separates you from that intimate fellowship with the Father. So you don't want to have a bitter heart before the Lord. Forgiveness also provides health of the church. When so many people are bitter towards others, it makes it very difficult for a church to be effective and impactful on the community. And also, guys, it's, it's a witness. When people see that Christians are willing to forgive, it impacts the nation. Do you guys remember just, I think it was back in June, you had that church, it was called the Emmanuel AME Church, where you had the shooter that came in. And he shot up a number of people within the church. And then what did the family members do? You remember on the news, they, they, they said they forgave him. And it was blowing the minds of the news. You remember that? That was a witness. And that's what, a, that's what forgiveness does. When we can learn to truly forgive the way Christ forgives, it will impact our culture and the world. See, the world, what's it about? It's about getting even, isn't it? The world wants to get even. But Christ calls us to forgive. And not only does he talk about forgiveness, but he also talks about temptation. He says, lead us not into temptation. This is also a spiritual need. And we need to first of all know that the Lord never tempts, and he cannot be tempted. James tells us in 1.13, James 1.13, let no one say when he's tempted that I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. And we also know that God will provide a way of escape, it tells us in 1 Corinthians 10. And so God is with us in temptation. By the way, temptation is not a sin. But to give in to temptation, it becomes sin. And so we have a Father that we can go to upward in praise and worship, outward for our physical needs, inward, 
spiritually, for forgiveness, for temptation, and those other things spiritually. Upward, outward, inward. Upward, outward, inward. When you develop that kind of prayer habit before the Lord, it honors Him. And this is the model that Jesus tells us. And it's with reverence, understanding that He's holy, worship, but also intimacy to a Father that longs us to be with Him. And by the way, you cannot have this intimacy unless you know Christ. Have you received Christ? The Lord will not hear your prayer as a father unless you know him through the Son. To receive Christ means to welcome him in. Have you welcomed Christ in? Once you have, now you have access to the throne. You ever notice how little kids have no problem interrupting their parents? You know, they just come in and barge in and and all that. But I was thinking... Think about the President of the United States. Can you just go to the White House and walk right in? Ain't going to happen. You need to have an appointment. You've got to have a set time, a time. How about if he's in his bedchambers sleeping? Would any of you have access to that? Never. But I can tell you his daughters, Myla and Saucer, would. They got a problem. They walk down the hall and they knock in. They walk in and say, Daddy, I got a problem. They have direct access to the most powerful man in the world. How much more, God says, do you have with me? You have direct access to my throne. Come, take advantage of this. Don't be distant because he has opened a door and you've been adopted as his children. And we get the opportunity to call him daddy, father, Abba. We pray with reverence to a loving father. That's the first thing. If you want to have a dynamic growing prayer life, do that. Pray with reverence to a heavenly father, a loving father. Second, We should pray with persistence to a faithful friend. Persistence to a faithful friend. It's the idea of persistently pursuing God for everything that we have on our hearts and we see the needs and never giving up. Look at verses 5 through 10. It says, and he said to them, suppose one of you shall have a friend. You shall go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has come to me from a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And from inside he shall answer and say, do not bother me. The door has already been shut and my children and I are in bed and I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. And I say to you, ask, and it shall be given to you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives, and he who seeks, finds, and him who knocks, it shall be opened. So the Lord starts off here by building this model prayer, upward, outward, inward. And then he shifts, and he tells them this parable this outline. And the reason is some of the things that weren't answered in that, in that first model, he kind of clarifies here. And the questions he asks are, how often should you pray? And what should your attitude be to prayer? And in this section right here, he deals with how often. So let's, let's, let's look right now at how often we should pray. It's, it's this idea about persistence, this idea about constantly coming to the throne of God and not think that you're bothering God but this is what he wants you to do. And so in context, we need to know a little bit about the setting of what's happening here in in the context of of the Jewish home at that time. Understand right here, it's midnight that he comes. That's the middle of the night, right? Well, they don't have electricity. So my gut is they're probably going to bed between 7.30 and 8 in that culture. And so he's coming when it's dead dark in the middle of the night. And most often in that culture, there's only one room. 
And often in that culture, you had multiple families there. So you would have usually grandma, grandpa, mom, dad, all the kids. And suddenly this guy comes knocking on the door. He's waking up everybody in the household. How do you feel when you, those of you that have little kids, when somebody comes and wakes them up as you just got them to sleep? You know that feeling? So he's disturbing them right in the middle of the night. And this neighbor, he doesn't really have a, a real emergency He's trying to save face. Some travelers come, and he's trying to give them bread. And, and so instead of having to say, hey, my house is on fire, some real deal, he wants some bread. So he comes at midnight to wake them up. And then he makes an extraordinary request. One loaf of bread will feed, feed a family for a whole day. He asks for three. He's going above and beyond. Here's the point. This man who's sleeping, he, he doesn't give the bread to his friend because of their friendship. He gives it because he is persistent. He's unrelenting. He will not give up. And it's, it's kind of twofold for us. Jesus is commending this neighbor for his persistence. And then he's telling his disciples and he's telling us, be like him. Be persistent. Keep doing that before your father. Never give up praying. Look at verses 9 and 10 again. It says, and I say to you, ask, and it shall be given to you. Seek and you shall find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, it shall be opened. So the, the Lord's language, it, it's, it's interesting because they're three verbs. They're actually commands. They're, they're present imperatives, and they're indicates ascending order, upward, increasing in intensity. He says, ask. It implies the assistance of a conscious need. You're saying, I have something that I need. I'm going to ask. Seek. It designates an action. He goes beyond just asking. Now he's going to get active and, and really pursue it. Knock means persistence, persevering, constantly coming, constantly knocking. The way it's read, if you look at it, you could just say, keep on asking and it will be given to you. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be open to you. And this is a picture of a person that will not give up, will not. They are determined before God. But how often do we give up? A lot. How often do we forget? We start out strong, right? A week later, like, what was I praying for, right? He's saying, the things that you have before God, bring them often because he wants to hear them. And he's saying, be like this. And what there is, there's a contrast. And I, these are really important things for us to get. This friend in the house with the bread is contrasted with God. Now, this is a frail, sinful man. He needs sleep. He doesn't want to be disturbed. He has limited resources. He cares more about his own family than he does to the man that's knocking at his door. But now when you look at God, he never sleeps. He's always ready to hear your request. He has unlimited resources, and he wants you to come and bug him. He wants you to come and say, hey, I got a big deal going on. It pleases him. And he's saying, do that. Not only that, he wants us to know that we can consider him a friend. Remember what Jesus said? This is John 15, 15. Jesus said, no longer do I call you slaves, for a slave does not know what his master is doing, but I call you friends. You are a friend of God. You have access to his throne. Don't hold back. Press in and pray. Ask, seek, knock, never give up. Whenever I think about prayer warriors, I often think of George Mueller. George Mueller in the 1800s was, was a, a prayer warrior. 
Matter of fact, journals have been found of George Mueller that over 50,000 prayer requests were asked and answered, and he logged them all. But what, one thing that people don't know is that George Mueller prayed for others, and particularly had five close, close friends that he prayed for. And the moment he got saved, he started praying for his friends, and he determined, I'm going to pray every day for the salvation of my five friends, these were childhood friends. He started to pray, and within the first 18 months, the first friend came to Christ. He kept praying, said, thank you, Lord, kept pressing in. Five years later, the second one comes to Christ. Thank you, Lord, keeps praying. Six years later, the third one comes to Christ. Thank you, Lord, keeps praying. He prayed every day, never missed one, for his friends for over 54 years until the day he died. Two of them had not come to Christ. But after he died, 18 months later, both of them came into the kingdom of God. As that is persistent prayer. It's a willingness to believe what the Scripture says and says, that's what I'm going to do. I don't know if you've ever heard pastor and preacher Evie Hill. Now, he died in 2003, but I got to tell you, that guy's a dynamic preacher. I heard him at a Promise Keepers event in 2002, so this is a year before he died. It was the, one of the most dynamic sermons I ever heard. I was up out of my seat in the first 10 minutes of the sermon. I mean, this guy was bringing it. So, very dynamic preacher. But he shares about somebody he calls Mama how her prayers for him changed his whole life. Now, in the Depression, when, when he was four years old, his mother couldn't afford to feed him. He was the last of five children. So she sent him to a friend, and that friend took him in her home, and that friend became Mama. And Mama believed in Evie Hill. And so she prayed for him regularly. In fact, she kind of, if you will, had a plan for his life. And so she made him get done with school. And he's the only one in his class that actually graduated high school that year. And then she says, you're going to college. And so when it came time to go to college, she put him on a bus, gave him $5, and she said, you're going to go to college. And so he gets on this bus, and he goes off to Prairie View College. And she tells him before he gets on the bus, I'll be praying for you. And so when Evie Hill arrives, he crawls off the bus. They tell him it's going to be $80 to register for college. He's got a buck 90 left in his pocket. But he gets in line anyway because he remembers his mama's prayer. And this is what he said. He said, I got in line. And the devil said to me, get out of line. But I heard my mama saying in my ear, I'll be praying for you. And I stood in line on the strength of mama's prayers. And soon there was another student ahead of me, and I began to get nervous, and, and I stayed in line. And just about that time, this other student got all their stuff, and they turned away, and then it was my turn. And just then, Dr. Drew, he touched me on the shoulder, and he said to me, are you Ed Hill? And I said, yes. Are you Ed Hill from Sweet Home? I said, yes. Have you paid yet? Not quite. We've been looking for you all morning, he said. He says, well, what do you want to do with me? He says, we have a four-year scholarship for you full paid room and board, and you get 30 bucks a month for support. What Evie Hill said he heard right then was, I heard mama say, I'm praying for you. Let us be a church that's like that. That we take to heart what the scriptures say, and we pray, and we pray, and we pray. Two things. Pray with persistence to a faithful friend. Pray with reverence to a loving father. Third and final one is pray with trust to a caring parent. Trust to a caring parent. We can pray with confidence that we're coming into the throne room of God who loves us and cares. Look at verses 11 through 13. 
Now suppose one of your fathers is asked by his son for a fish. He will not give him a snake instead of a fish, will he? Or if he's asked for an egg, will he not give him a scorpion, will he? If then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? So we saw how often we should pray, always persisting. So now we're going to look at the attitude of prayer. What kind of attitude should we have when it comes to prayer? And Jesus begins with two questions. They're kind of absurd questions. They're kind of like no-brainers, right? I mean, you read it, you're kind of like, okay. Look at verses 11 and 12 again. It says, now suppose your father is asked by a son for a fish. He will not give him a, sta- a snake instead, will he? Or if he asks for an egg, he will not give him a scorpion, will he? What's the answer to that? Of course not. I mean, any loving parents going to give their children the best. They love them. They want the best for them. They want to make sure that they're taken care of. And he says, you're, you're sinful. You're broken. You got nothing when, it, when you're compared to God who's absolutely holy and perfect and loving and right. But even you that are so broken, even your own, even Hitler would give his kids something good is what he's saying. So if, you're, if your child comes to you, this little five-year-old, and says, you know, Daddy, I, I want some lunch, you're not going to put a rattlesnake on their plate, right? Or a little three-year-old comes up and says, I want some fruit snacks. You're not going to give them a bag of Black Widows, right? No, you're, you're loving. You want to give them good stuff stuff that that honors God, that you show your love to them. That's the point. And so we still give good things to our children. How much more? How much more a God who loves us, a caring parent will give to us? So he says in verse 13, if you then, though you're evil, know how to give good gifts to your your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give you the Holy Spirit? Now, this is important. It's the desire to want the Holy Spirit active in your life. Now, at conversion, you've given the Holy Spirit. So there's one indwelling. But guys, there's many fillings. There's many empowerings by the Holy Spirit, and we should ask for it. Say, Lord, empower me for service. Help me to have wisdom to make those, those decisions. Fill me with your Spirit and use me for your glory. And he wants to do that. But I think the problem is, honestly, I think, I think we're spoiled. We're spoiled children. We want things the way we want it. We want it now. I want it now. I want it now. And I want it the way I want. So we pray kind of like, God, would you give me this? But I also have the solution to how it should happen, <laughs> right? And we form our prayers in ways that we want things done instead of really praying for God's will in our life. And the idea here is we think we know what's best for us. And so we basically tell God what's best for us, and that's kind of implanted in our prayer. And then when it doesn't quite happen in the way or the timing or whatever, we get upset. But I got to tell you, as a parent, I remember we used to go camping all the time with our boys. And we first started taking them when they were really young. You know what they wanted right away? A pocket knife. Right? You're camping. I want a knife. Did I get them a pocket knife? No. Not right away. Now later, kind of a rite of passage, you know. But right away, they were young. They open that thing up, their hands off. You know, they're cutting themselves right away. So I wouldn't do that right away. I'm I'm the parent. I got to care for their needs. Same thing with God. Sometimes we ask God for for things or relationships and stuff that that we think's right. To us, it's it's an egg. But to God, he sees it's a scorpion. So we need to be careful. And this is an area of trust for us when it comes to prayer. We need to understand that God knows what's best for us. How much more? Does he care for us? 
So we've seen three things. Pray with trust to a caring parent. Pray with reverence to a loving father. Pray with persistence to a faithful friend. I want to end with just some applications, some things that are just, we can kind of apply right away. Number one, understand that prayer is commanded. It is a command. And to be obedient to God, you should pray every day, multiple times a day. 1 Thessalonians 5 says, pray without ceasing. It's a heart of prayer. That means that your heart is kind of in a tenor, always listening and always praying. It's both. Walking with our Father, sharing our heart with Him. Also, do you believe that prayer changes things? Believe it. You know, I don't know if you've ever seen that movie by C.S. Lewis. It's about, it's about him. It's called Shadowlands. It's kind of his story. And there's a scene in there when he just got married, and, and he's with his new bride. Her name was Joy Davidman. And they go into their bedroom to prepare for, for bed, and he gets on his knees, and he begins to pray. And she asks him a question. She says, do you actually believe that prayer changes things? It's interesting. This is what he said. He said, well, I don't believe my prayer actually changes things, but prayer changes me. Guys, it sounds really spiritual. He's wrong. It does change him, but it also changes things. This is the mode and the means in which God uses and wants to use us in the process of changing dynamics spiritually in the world. He commands us to pray. He wants you involved. Yes, it changes you, but yes, prayer affects change. Believe it and pray. And pray often. Also, do you know how desperately you need God's mercy? You need it. I need it. That motivates our prayer. And God loves to give mercy. He loves to give grace. And we know that it motivates us. Do it often. Peter says this, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your anxiety upon him, for he cares for you. And he does. Also, prayer glorifies God. Prayer glorifies God because it shows God how much we need him. It's an act of humility. It's a recognition that we have that, man, Lord, I need you so much. I am desperate, desperate for you. And what it shows is not so much that you need your stuff taken care of, but you need him. I need God. The stuff is secondary. He is primary. Finally, Pray like a trusting child. A little one. I'm needy, man. I need my dad's help. I want to go in there and I say, Dad, I got major problems way beyond me. But I trust you, Lord. Help me. And I know you will. I hope we'll be that kind of a church. You want to be that kind of a church? Let's do it. Let's close in prayer. Well, Father, we thank you for your grace the goodness of who you are. Thank you, Lord, that you give such a clear prescription on how to grow in prayer, Lord. Thank you that we can come before you boldly, but know how much you want us to, Lord, and know that you're a Father that loves and cares for every need. And so now, Father, we, we give you our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. Can I please have you stand?